Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Now before we kick tonight off, I want to thank everyone that stopped by the booth at this past weekend's Bigfoot Bonanza in San Francisco. I had a great time meeting listeners and Cryptic Creek subscribers, and listening to awesome presentations from folks like Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters, Daniel Perez, and of course, Lauren Coleman. I also want to thank Kai for putting on such a fun event. I highly recommend attending if he decides to hold it again next year. Now, while I was at the event, a small dream of mine finally came true. Not only did I find and purchase the infamous 1977 Bigfoot board game, but I managed to get one with the shrink wrap still on it, and for $20. Now that baby is gracing the collection here in the studio. I'll uh, post a picture on Facebook a little bit later just to rub it in. I have a great show lined up for you guys tonight, an episode filled to the brim with all kinds of spooky accounts. So let's stop wasting time, and let's get after it. When one mentions the paranormal or the unexplained, several visuals often come to mind. Chain-rattling ghosts of days past glowing eyes from the darkened tree line, or even a strange display of lights over a darkened sky. But there is one personification that perhaps best represents at least ghostly activity, if not all paranormal goings-on, and that's the image of the ghostly hitchhiker. Countless films and legend have taken full advantage of this cliché, and rightly so. There's just something downright spooky about allowing a stranger into your car at night, and it gets even scarier when that stranger disappears. And it's something like this that our first caller of the evening experienced one rainy night in Florida. But his story doesn't end there. This is John's call from the Sunshine State. Hey Derek, it's John again. Um... This takes date probably around 2013, 2014. Uh, I had moved over to Florida from Oklahoma because of certain economic issues within the state. Um, one of the things I used to do was reserve and part-time policing. Um, a long time, my full-time IT job. But uh, I moved to uh, Central Florida near Tampa Bay. Um, didn't have a job or anything. I had a friend that I was staying with and I um, 
after about six, seven weeks not being able to find a job, and I decided to, you know, use my certification and see if I can let her transfer into a large sheriff's department there just to, you know, maybe work a year or two until I find a good IT job. But I digress. The, uh, you know, I got hired on. I had to go through a week academy and everything. I go through my field training. I get put in a rural part of the county. Um, it's a very large, populous county, actually, with a very, very large city. Um, I'm not going to say where it is because I still do some, some work there. So um, it was a rainy night. You know, a lot of times rural policing is harder than city policing. You really don't have backup for about 10 to 15 minutes or had to do a full call by yourself. You know how it goes. Um, but my beat covered um, mobile home parks where a lot of retirees didn't have a lot of money that wanted to come down to Florida, came down to Florida. Um, and a lot of, you know, rural, I guess the term would be redneck and all that. Um, so I would do that. And, um, you know, I'd have my calls from like, you know, methamphetamines to, you know, heroin and now it's opioid crisis. But at the time, we mostly had meth and all that. But um, I got a call out one night because I was working night shift and it was from one of those old ladies and one of those uh, mobile home parks. Mobile home parks are actually pretty isolated where I was at and adjacent to swamps. But, you know, you could retire to Florida really, really cheap and expensive and they're single wide trailers and they're nice, you know, well guarded. A lot of the times have police, a contract, uh, security guards there. But um, the call was for a loitering call and, uh, you know, I'm going to drive down there and I'm going to check everything out. You know, it started to rain and uh, I talked to the, the lady and she said, well, there's just a man walking around outside he doesn't come around whenever the, the lights are on you know he waits until everybody's asleep pops up knocks on some doors and everything i'm like oh, okay cool it's probably one of the kids i got bored and our kids coming in from the city in the county to mess with you know older people and uh you know uh you know i check around i check underneath the trailers it's raining and i'm I really, I really don't want to deal with this. And, you know, last time I go out, I don't really like rural areas, even though I work in one because of obvious reasons from last time that I called you. And, um, you know, and I'm my uniform is white and green, and I really don't want to get my uniform wet and nasty and, you know, all that fun stuff. And, you know, I'm looking around. I told lady, I said, I don't see anybody. She's like, okay, thank you for looking out, giving me peace of mind, get back in my car drive around it was a relatively quiet night and so I'm uh, driving no issue a few weeks later get the same call same trailer park you know it's a nice night full night full moon um, and so I'm you know, I get the same call same lady same story I'm like okay cool she's like it's always knocking on my back door so I'm like, okay, cool. Can I see your back door? Her back door is adjacent to a swamp, huge swamp land. Um, also, one of the things that there was that the Seminoles, the Seminole Indians, are actually prevalent 
and were prevalent there at the time. And so I'm like, okay, cool. So look out, you know, swamp, you know, put my my light out there. I got a real powerful LED light. I'm looking, you know, I see some gators and the, you know, local wildlife. I've been told like, what's out there? It's cool. I told lady, I was like, ma'am, I don't know. It might be a bat, something. She's like, oh, well, it's fine. Again, she's just fine that we just checked it out. And um, no problem. Later that night, I'm driving one of those rural back roads in the swamp. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, oh, well, I really hate the woods. But I'm just driving. And I look down the road and I see, not it's not a big ape thing, but it's, it's, it's a legit human. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I roll up to the person. I'm like, hey, how's your evening? What's going on? You lost. And the person just looks at me weird. Like, hey, you want to ride in the squad car? I'm going to have to put, let you put your hands on the roof. I'm going to check your pockets. Pockets were empty. This person's well-dressed. I'm like, how do you well-dress in the swamp? Like, I can't go five feet without a person talking. But it's just it's just weird. person's looking out the, the uh, window. I'm like, oh, yeah, sir, um, where do you want to go? And they say, oh, I want to go to this State Road corner. And the, there's a package store. Well, not a package store, but a liquor store and gas station. The person's like, I want to go there. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go there. It takes about five, ten minutes. And, you know, let them go. And just weird feeling, but, you know, whatever. I see weird people now all the time. This is Florida. Like, it's the capital of weird. And so, you know, let them out of the package store. And I said, all right, cool. You live far from here? Like, no, no. That's what they say. Look down. Walk my doors. Look down. I look at the time. Shift's dragging by. It's a 12-hour shift. I look up. It's gone. He's gone. I'm like, okay, cool. So I walk into the uh, the package store, and I was going to get a Coke or something or Red Bull. And I'm like, hey, did uh, I describe the guy? Hey, did a guy come here in nice dress clothes? Look really weird. Eyes light. They're like, no. But... They were like, you're not the first person to say that. I was like, okay. Like, There's, this person's been cited and harasses people all the time. Like, okay. I was like, do you know who it is? He's like, no. Store clerk, no, I don't, I don't know who this person is. It's just we really don't mess with them if we see them. Okay, cool. And so uh, I call my lieutenant. And I'm like, hey, man, uh, picked up this weird guy in the swamp nicely dressed really weird he's like oh yeah yeah that's um yeah yeah why did you pick him up I was being nice you know I don't know they're like okay well there's some things in the swamp you don't you don't need to mess with deputy I'm like okay he's like that's one of those things how much are you talking about I felt with him about 10-15 minutes like okay did you tell him your name I was like well I have a name plate on if he can read he he can read okay well you didn't tell him where your patrol was and I was like no no I just said I'm driving through here and I dropped him off at you know the intersection you know between county this county road and the state road gotcha gotcha alright cool nothing weird happened and a few weeks later I'm driving you know this time I'm 
I've doubled up. I, I've doubled up to this point because I'm training this new guy. He's just fresh out of the academy, and you know they just put some rank on me, and we're driving along. It's about 2 a.m. and I hear, "Hey, you see that?" Yeah, I was like, I'm not picking that guy up again. I said, last time I picked him up, it was weird. I told him to pick that guy up. And so we're driving about a mile down the road. I see the guy again. Mind you, we have not turned back. We have not done anything. And I see it. My trainee sees it. He's like, you know, what? what is this? Like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then... About an hour later, we get a call. So it's about like 3.45 or so. We get a call from the same trailer park. But it's dead quiet. Me and a rookie are looking around. The lady's like, no, this time it's slamming on doors and stuff and outside. And we're going and we're looking. And I just get the idea. I'm like, hey, rookie, let's just turn off the lights. You know, we take off our reflective vest, you know, don't have anything, just be quiet. So, you know, we're staying quiet with the rookie, and uh, we start hearing the boom, 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 boom. Like, okay, cool. And like, so now it's time to catch this kid in the act. And uh, he takes one side of the trailer, I take the other, you know, so we're just going to be in the middle. And um, we go in, you know. Round the corner, he rounds the corner, turn on our lights and our on our pistols. Nice well dressed man. Here's scream, runs off. Into the swamp. Oh my god. My like, I messed up. I probably should have just went to tech school, welder school, and I was like, no, it's it's fine, it's probably a meth head. It's, it's like, that's the same guy. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. So I'm gonna call for backup. We wait about five, ten minutes. And um our, uh, we have what we call a patrolling lieutenant, which means uh, he's a lieutenant, he's in charge. And he comes and he's like, hey, this thing, it's the same thing that you saw. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. So he's like, this is Seminole land, formerly. Um, he's like, the, the spirits we think are highly aggressive and you just can't mess with them. He's like, don't. He told, and then he went later, he's like, do not call him over this. They're like, do not call him over this anymore. Do not call our deputies. Do not do anything. You just got to ignore it. Don't stop. So flash forward a few weeks later, me and the rookie, we're driving, you know, typical stuff. And you know, every once in a while, we see this, I would call him the hitchhiker now. And uh, we see him. He's not really a hitchhiker. I uh, ended up talking to some of the Seminole um, police there, and like the Seminole tribe police, and he said, "Hey, this this guy, he's he's a medicine man. It's probably our ancestor that you know died in one of the, I think it was like the Seminole War. I'm not particularly sure, but um, you know, the encroaching onto you know Seminole land is." He gets angry and it it chooses people that mess with it. And uh, you know, I was patrolling for a while, and around 2016, I said, you know, I said either I'm gonna quit the sheriff's department, or you're gonna put me into a beat 
set I'm not going to want to be in. <laughs> you know, like, you're going to put me in a beat that I'm not going to see this. I'm tired of rule beat. I said, you get someone in new, or I'm quitting. They transferred me to small town. Not a small town, but a relatively sized town with its own police department, so I helped with the police department there. And uh, I never saw this thing, but um, according to the old precinct I used to be at, they occasionally see it every once in a while. And uh, it always wants to show itself to um, sheriff cars. That's what it wants to do, because I think it thinks it might be me. But I haven't had any other encounters instead of that, but I've had a lot of friends and family tell me weird stuff from Oklahoma and Florida and uh but that's like the last time I saw that thing. I don't know if it's a skinwalker or what, but it's definitely nothing to mess with and I will never miss it again. And uh all right, have a uh good afternoon, enjoy the podcast. Bye. Thank you, John, for taking the time to call in. There's not much I can say about this call. The events that take place are, at least on the surface, fairly benign. But when everything is added together and the theme is set, the story takes on a sinister tone. Now this particular story reminded me of a classic ghost legend from the state of Illinois. A story I've been wanting to touch on for some time. The story of Resurrection Mary. Our next petrifying pit stop is here. A suburb southwest of Chicago called Justice, Illinois. Ride with us down Archer Avenue, but be warned. We're sharing this thoroughfare with one seriously disturbed spirit. Because of the history and the death along it, it's become known as as really one of the most haunted roadways, not only in Chicago, but anywhere in the country. Her name is Resurrection Mary. And since the 1930s, she's been making this unassuming avenue one of the most eerie roads in America. Legend has it that one night in the early 1930s, Mary and her boyfriend attended a dance at the O. Henry Ballroom, now known as the Willowbrook. It was an evening of harmless fun until... They had been dancing, got into an argument, and she left and was walking up Archer Avenue when she was struck and killed by a hit-and-run driver. But her grieving parents buried her in Resurrection Cemetery. But Mary never got the chance to rest in peace. In the 1970s, Resurrection Cemetery began moving what were called term graves into different burial spots. Now, the term graves were sort of like rental spots. They were for bodies to be stored until an actual plot could be purchased. In the 70s, they had actually moved Mary's grave from where it was to an unmarked grave in another part of Resurrection Cemetery. And the disturbance of Mary's resting place seemed to have paranormal consequences. A lot of people, they believe that when they moved her grave, she would leave the cemetery, but then she couldn't find her grave because they had actually moved it. It makes you wonder if perhaps the disturbance of these graves is really what sort of kicked off this cycle and caused the ghost to be seen on Archer Avenue. Soon, reports were coming in of a strange spectral girl wandering Archer Avenue. Resurrection Mary. Some claim her spirit is desperately searching for someone to lead her back to Resurrection Cemetery. There was a young man, his name was Jerry Palis. He actually met 
a young woman one night at a dance. A pretty blonde woman. Spent the entire evening with her. They had dinner together, they had drinks together, he danced with her. Uh, he even claimed that he kissed her a couple of times. At the end of the evening, he offered her a ride home, which she accepted. Jerry then took her uh, down Archer Avenue, right across the street from Resurrection Cemetery. He offered to drive her the rest of the way home. Instead, she put her hand on his and said, where I'm going, you can't follow. Got out of the car, ran across the road directly toward the gates to the cemetery, and disappeared. Now, it was at that point that Jerry claimed that he realized he'd spent the entire evening with a ghost. Oh, but one phantom joyride? That isn't enough to make this one of America's creepiest thoroughfares. Pull up a chair at Chet's Melody Lounge. Since the 1960s, they've been serving drinks directly across the street from Resurrection Cemetery. All too convenient for a thirsty ghost. Many years ago, a cab driver actually came in at 3 o'clock in the morning and asked my father, who was tending bar at the time, where the girl was. He said he picked up a girl, asked to stop here to use the bathroom. My father and the customers that were here had no idea what he was talking about because the door never opened. He said he's seen her come in here, and he thought that she was trying to just stiff him for the, the cab ride. So... He was irate, and my father said, well, no one came in. The customer said no one came in, and the cab driver thought that he was just, that everyone was just sticking up for this girl. So my father let him look through the place, and he just said, well, there's nobody here. He just shook his head and laughed. So next time you're flagged down by a strange young woman on Archer Avenue, take our advice. Keep driving. I think what really scares people about the story of Resurrection Mary is that you're not even safe in your own car. You could be touched by the supernatural just driving down the road. That clip was taken from the Travel Channel special, The Most Terrifying Places in America. Of course, there is a world of difference between our two stories, but the common thread is there. Perhaps we should heed this cautionary tale. I can say with utmost certainty that I will not be picking up any hitchhikers anytime soon. Thanks again, John, for taking the time to share. Our next call brings us back to the West Coast. You may remember Joe from his real-time call about a recent SpaceX launch that frightened many on the West Coast. Well, Joe is back with another strange story. Hey, Derek, this is Joe from California. Um, uh, I just called you and told you about the lights in the sky, but, uh, I decided to call back and tell you the story that I was actually going to call about, which is weird, but um, but I saw this thing right when I was about to call. Anyway, back in 1996, me and a few of my friends, when my dad was out of town, decided to get out this old Ouija board and mess around with it, and um, <clears throat> I'm a skeptic. I don't really believe in that stuff, so I was just having fun. I still don't believe in it. But after this experience, I have not ever touched a Ouija board again. <laughs> anyway, so um, we're playing around with this Ouija board, and it's saying it starts telling us that he's evil, and we ask it, who's evil? And it says, your dad, and we say, who's dad? And it names one of my friends that's sitting there at the table. There's um, four of us sitting there, and... Um, Anyways, uh, we ask, it says my friend's dad spells out his name, and one of my friends takes his hands off of the, uh, 
uh, I forget what it's called, the little thing, the, the little pointer thing, and uh, he goes, oh, this is BS, you know, I, this is, oh, you guys are tricking me or whatever, and just then, the chair he's sitting on breaks, and all four legs of the chair go out in four different directions, and he's sitting there flat on his butt, and this is a old oak chair that my family's had forever, and uh, of course, I fixed the chair, uh, before my dad got home from his vacation and that chair is still alive and well and being used in his house today and it never broke again maybe I fixed it better than it was you know maybe it all could have been circumstantial I don't know but um my dad my dad already told me never to mess with that Ouija board and it's actually gone now this all happened back in 1996 but uh, it scared me enough that I never really messed with one again, even though I don't really believe it. And I think my friends are playing a trick on me, but or some one of a, one of us is playing a trick on the other guys. Anyway, yeah, Ouija boards are not my favorite stories, but uh, anyway, I, w- I hope to hear more cryptids on this show. So if anybody's got cryptid stories that they're hanging on to, call in because I want to hear them. All right, bye. Thank you, Joe. I touched on the explanations for Ouija boards way back in Season 1. So as a little refresher, here is a clip courtesy of Science of Scams. The scientific explanation of the Ouija board is very simple. The people taking part are actually moving the glass themselves without realizing it. This subconscious movement is known as idiomotor action. Because the movement is created subconsciously, some people are convinced that the powers of the Ouija board are real. They don't realize that they are moving the glass themselves. To create this clip, we invited a group of girls to take part in a tour of a haunted house. This is Richard, who was playing the part of the guide. Richard made up a haunted history of the building, which he told to the girls as he showed them around. By the time the girls were ready for the Ouija board, they were convinced that the property was haunted and were expecting something to happen. This expectation helps their subconscious generate the movement. After their tour around the house, we asked the girls who they thought had moved the glass, and this is what they said. No, I wasn't moving the glass at all. I didn't think I was pushing it. I wasn't moving the glass. I wasn't moving the glass. In fact, my fingers were barely touching it at one point and it seemed to shoot across. I genuinely thought there was something there. As you can see, the girls taking part were convinced that they did not move the glass. It's this belief that makes it so easy to believe in a paranormal explanation. There are ways to prove that the movement is created by those taking part. In 1853, a scientist called Michael Faraday created a test to discover where the movement was coming from during similar paranormal demonstrations. We recreated Faraday's experiment with a group of 21st century young people who were able to make a glass move on a Ouija board. Faraday suggested placing layers of card on the moving item, in our case the glass. As the glass moves, the layers of card also move. However, this movement will be different depending upon where the force is coming from. If the glass was being moved by spirits, then the layers of card would be dragged along behind, sloping away from the direction of movement. To simulate this effect, we dragged the glass with a piece of cotton. However, if the movement was coming from one or more of the people touching the glass, then the layers of card would move first, sloping in front of the glass. 
Faraday's experiment confirmed that the force was being applied by the people touching the moving object. When we placed layers of card on top of the glass, our results matched Faraday's. The Ouija board may seem strange and spooky, but it can be explained with science. The secret is idiomotor action and expectation. It has nothing to do with the paranormal. Links to all the videos used today can be found on the website under the show notes tab. Now, as Joe stated, he's a bit of a skeptic, so I doubt that this video comes as a surprise to him. But it might help explain how these things quote-unquote work. There is one thought that I had regarding the chair, however, and it's this. If the young man was worked up over the message he received about his father, I could see him shifting uncomfortably in his chair, perhaps sliding back into it quickly or even tipping forward. On these older chairs, especially the wooden ones, any movement like that can easily split the wood. And once one leg goes, the rest seem to quickly follow. Thanks for the fun call, Joe. Our next story is a written one, submitted anonymously. Hello, I'm a new listener to your podcast and I love it. Thank you for the wonderful entertainment. But now, I have a story for you that you might enjoy. Years ago, my older brother had a girlfriend who was staying at her house. I had a friend over hanging out with me as well. My friend and I were playing video games in my room. It had to be around 12 or 1 in the morning when my brother's girlfriend ran into the room in a very frantic state. She was terrified by the way my brother was acting. I immediately ran to his room to see what the big deal was. When I walked in, my brother was rolling around on his bed with his eyes wide open as if he couldn't blink. He kept mumbling random things. I ran up to grab him and to try to get him to stop. As soon as I put my hands on his shoulder, he looked at me right in the eyes and cried as he said, Help me. He continued to roll and mumble. At this point, I didn't know what to do except yell, stop. After yelling a few times, my brother snapped out of his trance and, again, begged for help. After repeating this cycle one more time, he said, they are scared of you. Please, just help. Then I dragged my brother into my room and he instantly fell asleep when I got him to my bedroom floor. All four of us involved slept in my room in peace that night. My brother woke the next morning with no recollection of the entire night. He even seemed confused that he was in my room. Now there could be a few explanations for this, one being that my brother has had a troubled youth and suffers from addiction. I think this could be the cause. But I have also heard that substance abuse can make someone more susceptible to paranormal influence. Another explanation could be that he was having some sort of night terror, and for some reason he was stuck in his dream. Or maybe there was some sort of dark influence tormenting him while he was trying to sleep. Thanks again for the podcast. I'm not sure if this is a good story for you to use, but I hope you found it interesting. Thank you. Thank you for that submission. Let me propose yet another explanation. Perhaps he was simply having fun with you guys. I say this because I did something similar when I was younger. Now I have a huge extended family. I honestly do not know how many cousins I have, but I know it's somewhere around 50. Well, this one summer, when I was probably 12, we had several cousins visit at once, and one thing we'd like to do was break out my grandpa's old time-life paranormal books and scare the crap out of one another. Well, this particular time, we focused on the hypnotism pages of the books, which gave me a great idea. I asked one of them to hypnotize me, and then I acted as if it worked. To my surprise, my plan went off without a hitch. I even managed to wet my hair and fake a head dunk into the toilet when they told me to give myself a swirly. So perhaps he was simply playing a gag that worked too well. Although, he'd have to be awfully committed to fall asleep amidst all this. But you know what? 
stranger things have happened. Thank you again for taking the time to submit. Up next, we take to the skies over Utah for a strange nighttime encounter. Hi, my name is Josh from Utah. I've been listening to your podcast for a little over a month now, and I'm absolutely loving it. And just wanted to share my experience that I had with a couple of unidentified flying objects that I saw about a week or two ago. It actually happened on the very first day of the year, on New Year's Day, and I was at work, and part of my work was me going outside and helping customers um, load groceries into their cars. Well, as I was going outside to help a customer, I noticed off to my left, towards the east, there were about eight to nine floating orange objects in the sky. Now, this was around seven at night, and so it was decently dark and pretty cloudy, so I couldn't see any stars in the sky. But as these things were just floating, they started heading south at a very slow pace, but they were all in a unison formation of almost like an upside-down trapezoid. Now, I live right next to Hill Air Force Base, so I'm used to having air, you know, airships coming over, um, jets, fighters. We have the works here. So I know what a military aircraft looks like, sounds like. This was not it. And I was told that on an airplane, they have the lights on the wings that on the right side is a green light and on the left side is a red light. So if these were planes heading south, I would have had to have seen a green light and I was definitely seeing a bright, unblinking orange light. And as they started heading south, they started disappearing one by one, like almost into nothing. I don't know quite how to explain it. But as I kind of composed myself, I tried to get my coworker to see the last of them before they disappeared, and she saw only the tail end of them. And to this day, we have no idea what they were. About a minute after the other ones disappeared, one really bright one showed up right where the other ones appeared at and went the same way and disappeared the exact same same, same way. It was just... It's crazy. No way to explain this. Um, the next morning, as I was telling people about it, people would always say, oh, it was probably a drone, probably a rocket. I've seen those things. They're, it was not a rocket. It was not a drone. Um, we did see helicopters flying around this area the day after. They were military helicopters. They were going in a search formation and it was it was crazy. Um, absolutely love your show. Thank you for letting me share this experience with me. And it was awesome talking to you. Bye. Thank you, Josh. I believe I know what you witnessed that evening. Simple military flares. Now, I know I've spoken about these things on past episodes, and I know they are often mistaken for UFOs. 
but here's why I think this is likely what you saw. Most of these flares are often orange in color, and they are dropped from a plane to either signal or illuminate a location. They are typically attached to a parachute, which allows them to either slowly fall to Earth, or in some instances, seem to hover in the air. The close proximity to a military installation also lends credence. Now, of course, I'm not saying that Joss definitively saw flares, but it certainly does fit the description. For reference, I've included a few images of these flares in the show notes for tonight's episode. So check those out and let me know what you think. Thank you again, Josh, for the call. I guess you never know what's flying around up there. Now I have one more call to share with you guys this evening, but first, you gotta hear this. Tomorrow, Friday, March 16th, I will be guest hosting on Secret Transmission Podcast for their first ever Monster Madness Tournament. Be sure to tune in to hear us discuss two cryptids which will eventually battle it out. If you play your cards right, you might even win yourself a free cryptic crate. Just search Secret Transmission Podcast in your podcatcher to catch that episode. Now, if you have a story you'd like to share, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab for more submission options. And if you're cool with your story being played on a paid Patreon episode, please mention that at the top of your call. Doing so would be a big help to me in creating those special episodes. And speaking of paid content, I'm releasing another paid episode tomorrow, in addition to shooting a Bigfoot investigation video, which will post early next week. So if you haven't yet signed up, I highly recommend you do so. Just go to patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast, or just follow the link in the show notes. Thank you to all those that have already signed up. The support has been unbelievable. And speaking of support, I want to thank Clarissa A. for her very generous donation. Thank you, Clarissa. Be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes or whichever podcatcher you use. Lately, I've had a few less than desirable reviews, so please, let's bury those things. Go to the shop tab and get yourself a Monsters Among Us decal or koozie. Or better yet, pick up a Mirrored Men t-shirt designed by the very talented Julian Meyer of Cryptid Zoo. Not only do these things look amazing, but they also feature an augmented reality design that brings the Mirrored Men to life when using the app. Seriously, these things are pretty cool. Hit up that shop tab on the site for more details. And I highly recommend you check out Julian's other designs on his website, if for nothing else but to see the augmented reality in action. That's www.cryptidzoo.com. And lastly, if you're not a member of the Monsters Among Us fan page on Facebook, you're missing out. A simple search for Monsters Among Us fan page on Facebook will get you there. And trust me, it's where you want to be. All right. As promised, one last story. The following call was submitted by Sean in California. Hey, what's up, Derek? This is Sean from Silicon Valley. Uh, I've been listening to your show for a couple of months now, and I absolutely love it. Um, I actually just caught up to real time this evening on the way home from work. Uh, kind of bummed I won't be able to binge it every day to and from work anymore, but hey, it's the nature of the beast. Um, anyway, I, I love it, so keep it up. Um, I've been actually waiting to call in for quite a while now, uh, but I haven't really been able to get around to it until now. Um, I've had uh, quite a few encounters and experiences in my life, so I'll probably call back a couple more times. 
but I wanted to start off with uh, the one that's had the biggest impact on me. Um, so here goes. Um, so I grew up in the Bay Area, born and raised. Uh, my family has actually owned a cabin in the, uh, the High Sierra Nevada mountains for decades. And I've spent pretty much every summer and winter growing up as a kid uh, near a lake called Pinecrest, uh, in a town called Pinecrest. Um, our cabin was, I'd say, about 20 minutes west from Pinecrest in a town called Sugar Pine. Uh, and slightly further down west is Sonora, uh, California, just for kind of a point of reference. Um, I guess it's worth mentioning if you've never visited the, the area, the High Sierras, then you need to know that it's really remote, very dense. Um, there's a lot of small pockets of towns along the highway, but pretty much when you get past Sugar Pine, it's just hundreds of miles of unincorporated High Sierra wilderness, um, pretty much consisting of Sugar Pine trees. Uh, really remote, very dense, uh, to say the least. Um, anyway, uh, I was up there with my grandparents one, I want to say it was spring, um, and my grandfather and I had talked about going uh, up the hill, as we called it, uh, to go uh, trout fishing in a little town called uh, Strawberry, which is about a mile from Pinecrest. Um, the town's about 6,500 feet in elevation. Uh, it has this awesome river which flows through it, and there's like a few spots along the bank where you uh, where you can get down to from the road where trout fishing is pretty great during the right time of the year. Um, so we woke up, packed up, and set out that next morning. Uh, once we got there, uh, I grabbed my tackle box, my pole. I headed down to this one particular bend in the river that I'd always, have, always had a lot of luck with. Uh, it's a few-minute walk from the highway, uh, from the main highway, so you kind of had to trek down uh, a small hill a little bit, but it wasn't too hard to get to. Um, I got down there. I was fishing for a short while. I'd say probably about 30 minutes. Wasn't having much luck, so just, you know, the area is beautiful, so I just kind of started to space out, look around, admire my environment um there's you know it, it's just gorgeous up there so it's really easy to get sidetracked um anyway from where i was standing across on the other side of the river bank um there's uh, a rather large like granite rock i'd say it's about the size of a volkswagen like a bug um and behind the rock uh was a very steep hill totally covered in pine trees and pine needles and leads to basically nowhere um, you know, it's just open woods, open forest behind that area. Um, anyways, I digress. So I glanced over by this, you know, granite rock and I saw what looked to be like a rather small brown critter of some sort on the top of the rock. Um, you know, at first I didn't think much of it other than just thinking it was like a, a squirrel or something sitting on top of the rock. Uh, but then all of a sudden as I stared at it more, I realized that what I was looking at was the top of a head and two really enormous eyes staring right back at me. Um, as soon as I saw it, I totally freaked out thinking I was about to encounter a bear, which aren't infrequent in the area. I've seen them up there quite a bit. Um, you know, as a 10 year old kid, I was about 10. So I'd put this in 1989. Um, my reaction initially, initially was like fight or flight. And I was definitely going to pick the flight uh, aspect. So I jumped back because I was super spooked. Um, but it was at that exact moment that my life literally changed forever. Um, right that moment, a six to seven foot Sasquatch stood up from being crouched down behind the rock and jumped back from where it was hiding from me behind that rock. Uh, it was crazy there. We both stood just staring at each other uh, from across the river. The width of the river where I was at was about 20 feet. So I was very close. We were very close. Um, 
And I, I mean, it just stood there staring back at me. And I distinctly remember it kind of swaying back and forth, uh, left and right, it, it, as if it was studying me. Um, you know, to be honest, as, as I've reflected back on it over the years, I, I actually think it was just as scared as I was. And it was trying to figure out what the hell it wanted to do uh, next himself, because that's what I was trying to figure out. What do I do? I had, I had no idea. It was the first time that ever in my life and the last time in my life that I'd ever been frozen in shock. I, I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. Um, I literally couldn't look away or move or anything. Um, after what felt like an eternity, it was probably just a few seconds. For some reason, I, I don't know, like adrenaline pumped through me. I jumped again. I, I guess I wanted to run. But uh, as soon as I did, what happened next literally blew my mind. Uh, it, it looked like this creature imitated me or copied me uh, because it mimicked the same movement that I had just did, almost as if it also wanted to try and run but wasn't certain what to do. Um, it, it, yeah, it, just all of a sudden... Oh, yeah, so, sorry, I uh, I hope you edit this part out because I kind of lost track of my, my uh, train of thought. So, nonetheless... You know, that happened, and all of a sudden, from the hill that was behind the other side of uh, the riverbank, uh, I heard two very distinct and very loud whistles. Now, I can't whistle. I wish I could imitate it, but I just can't. Um, so then, after this whistle, this Sasquatch turned its whole entire upper body from almost like the knees, looked in the direction of the whistle, turned its whole upper body back toward me, looked at me once again as if it was, you know, saying, yeah, hey, see you later, bro. Um, and it just took off in a sprint up the hill and disappeared into the trees. And just like that, it was gone. Um, I've been reluctant to call and talk about this on your show just because of the, you know, the paranormal uh, encrypted nature of the show. Uh, because I know, I've seen it with my own eyes, that Bigfoot's it's not encrypted. It's just a really elusive, undiscovered primate living amongst us. Um, there's nothing cryptid about it. It's just a mammal. Uh, nothing magic about it. Uh, nothing paranormal about it. It doesn't cloak. It doesn't hitch rides on UFOs or anything. Those people, I think, are just looking for attention who, who say they've seen that. Um, but ultimately, this animal is incredibly special and needs to be protected by law and registered as critically endangered. Um, I've had other experiences in the area uh, with Sasquatch throughout the years, but none as intimate as this one was. Um, anyways, uh, that's my story for now. Uh, I'll probably call back another time with some additional experiences, and thanks again for the show. Thank you, Sean. Having spent this past weekend at Bigfoot Bonanza, I knew I had to share a Bigfoot call on this episode, and you certainly didn't disappoint. Now, there's not much I can say in regards to your sighting. Everything seems, at least on the surface, to be fairly cut and dry. There was one detail, however, that kind of piqued my interest. The mention of whistles. Anyone that reads Bigfoot books or even watches Bigfoot programs on television should find that detail familiar. Aside from whoops, howls, and wood knocks, whistles are among the most popular sounds attributed to this mysterious creature. In fact, in some regions, it's known as the Midnight Whistler. Here's a short clip for context. This clip is from YouTube user Colorado Bigfoot. Guys, they're going crazy with whistles. They're actually responding to me. I realized I didn't have the camera on. There it is. Oh, my God. You guys, I'm all by. 
by myself. They are, I'm in the middle of their wallow. They are all around me. Oh my God. All right, you guys, you have to understand. People tell me to calm down. You know what? You come out here and stand in the middle of their living quarters. I just got completely surrounded. I'm not kidding you guys. Obviously, that whistle doesn't sound all that intimidating. But when you find yourself alone in the woods at night, it starts to become a little concerning. Thank you again, Sean, for the call. I'm really looking forward to hearing your other run-ins with this strange creature. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Any audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott and Addie Lloyd. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu, Coag Music, and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart, too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter.